Hello, welcome to the podcast program In Community and Company, presenting inspiring conversations about how communities galvanized. The podcast is produced by the Department of Community Engagement at Point Park University, and I'm your host, Eric Sloss. I'm with Zaheen Hussein, Director of Sustainability at the nonprofit organization New Sun Rising, based in Millville, Pennsylvania. Zaheen, welcome. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you found your way to New Sun Rising. Sure. Uh, going way back, uh, I'm an immigrant born in Bangladesh. Uh, I immigrated here with my family um, when I was eight years old. Um, grew up largely in Connecticut, went to school there, uh, studied environmental science uh, with a focus in natural resource economics and policy, which uh, then led me to finding a career here in Pittsburgh when I looked nationally for work, um, found some really great work happening in the world of sustainability, um, starting with the organization formerly known as GTEC Strategies, now Grounded Strategies. Um, From there, uh, I partnered on a number of initiatives with the community of Millvale, um, and Millvale uh, at the time was looking for a sustainability coordinator it was a really great opportunity for me. It's the kind of work that I wanted to do. Um, it was a position through the Millville Sustainability, or uh, it was a position through uh, the Millville Community Library, and um, it worked as a shared resource between the library, the development corporation, the borough, and Newson Rising and their joint implementation of the Millville Eco District Plan. Um, that position for a number of reasons, um, mostly having to do our own efficiency, funding, etc., cetera, um, was transferred over to New Sun Rising um, under the sustainability department, um, a newly created position of sustainability, our director of sustainability, um, which continues my work in Millvale, but also has regionalized some of the work a little bit. Well, you know, if you can help us understand what the term sustainability means, you know, I think people can interpret it in a number of different ways. The first thing I think of is eco-friendly, but um, could you give me a definition or how how do you describe it? Sure. Uh, You know, definitely a lot of people think about it as eco-friendly, but to me, um, the definition that I tend to subscribe to the most is the use of our resources today so that we can preserve, maintain, and grow quality of life today without sacrificing quality of life for future generations. Um, The environment is definitely a big part of it, but so is the economy and humanity. Um, Oftentimes in sustainability, people talk about the triple bottom line, uh, people, planet, profit. Um, They're also the three E's. They essentially mean the same thing, Um, equity, environment, and economy. Um, How do these three things get prioritized such that um, there is kind of this holistic approach to how communities grow, how humanity grows? Well, you're looking at uh, this idea of sustainability through communities. And I guess, how do you translate that? And I, you know, the premise of this podcast program is to kind of understand how communities galvanize. Is sustainability a galvanizing factor for communities? Clearly, it has been because of the eco-district work that you've been doing that we'll talk about a little bit later, the work that you're doing in Millville, how do those, you know, how do those things activate a community? Well, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that sustainability was what activated the community as it relates to our work specifically in Millvale. Um, I think every community has a different motivating factor. Um, For Millvale, the start was actually 
uh, some substantial flooding in the mid 2000s. In 2004, uh, with the remnants of Hurricane Ivan moving through the area, uh, creating significant flooding. And then again in 2007, where there were two floods within a week of each other, um, not as damaging as 2004, but nonetheless traumatic for the community. Um, I think shared trauma has uh, the power to galvanize community. And I think it was that shared trauma of not just decades of economic decline as industry left the region, but then it culminated with these natural disasters in the community started to look around and uh, start to ask itself, well, what is happening around us? Um, and how can we move forward such that our community doesn't get left behind in the way that we're seeing it get left behind? Um, and so to the credit of a number of deeply rooted Melville leaders, um, they really started to think about what does sustainable environmental, economic, and human development look like within Millvale um, such that it takes that leap into the 21st century, leaving behind the old industrial uh, economies that were creating these these forces that were leaving people behind. There are so many layers of a community and so many ways to address sustainability, infrastructure, sewage, waste. How do you address it in Millville? That's a really great question. Um, you know, in Millville, uh, again, starting after 2007, but really getting into the 2011-2012 time period, um, leaders started to delve into this concept of eco-district planning. Um, eco-district is a planning process and protocol that was developed um, in Portland, Oregon, uh, but it has since um, spread really throughout the world. Um, Millville actually um, started to tinker with the concept of eco-districts before the protocol even existed. The protocol, for example, wasn't created until 2016. Um, again, we started to tinker with it and published our first eco-district plan in 2012, really um, melding the concepts together of um, environmental improvement, human development, and economic development as a result. Well, I'm just the, talking about the complexities of communities. And, and you know, I, I think there's a translation challenge, mm -hmm. I think, in terms mm -hmm. of how you communicate the importance right. of sustainability um, you know, some of it can live in academia and, and be somewhat complex in terms of how you implement sustainability. There right. are some uh, pop culture and some challenges out there that 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 uh, put up roadblocks in terms of how you articulate it to the community. You know, I mean, I guess that's where I'm going with it is that one, I, the first question was there's multiple layers of a community and how do you address maybe sewage mm -hmm. infrastructure? Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Well, first is meeting the demand, right? I think, um, again, talking to the economic decline and then the, the environmental damages that were subsequently felt, um, there was a demand for something different within the community. The community as a whole necessarily didn't have the language to articulate what that was. Um, we had, um, you know, forward-thinking leaders who really stepped up at the time, um, discovered this planning process, um, that we call eco-districts, um, and just started to talk to neighbors. Um, you know, oftentimes in community planning, um, you have outside expertise, planners, developers who come in, who see um, a distressed community and say, hey, we know what's good for you. Let us, let us tell you and let us do this, right? And I think, you know, there's been a history of communities saying, well, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do what you're talking about. 
um, only to have the community change in ways that people didn't anticipate or want for their neighborhood. Um, and I think, you know, some of that can be solved with bridging language, creating shared vocabularies. Um, so one of the great steps that Millville took early on was committing to education. There was a year's worth of time before planning even started uh, to create this educational curriculum to help community leaders, residents, um, you know, board members, elected officials, um, just your average everyday Millvalian understand these concepts of sustainability, community development, um, the vocabulary that's associated with it around stormwater, around food access, around climate change. Um, and only then did people jump into that engagement piece of wanting to plan with the community. Um, that way, um, planners, developers, kind of that outside expertise and community members could have a shared language that they could actually communicate around. And that's not to say anything about people's education levels. Um, I think as a matter of fact, you know, doctors and engineers, highly educated, speak different languages, right? So I think that that shared vocabulary is a really important part of it. Um, but then there is um, community engagement that's open and accessible for people. I think there's a history of, again, um, saying that, oh, we need to engage the community. There's a community meeting that's planned. It's on a Wednesday night at six o'clock. The same six people that go to every community meeting, they show up um, and we check the box and say we heard from the community and that's not real feedback. Um, early on, there was a concerted effort to to get feedback, not just through community meetings, because those are important platforms, but um, creating block parties, um, having fun events, um, engaging people, meeting people where they are, latching onto other events so that you're always kind of... Um, working to get feedback from community members. Um, only then do you start to at least get a sense of what's out there. And even then, you know, Millville is only 0 0.68 square miles, has 3,700 people. Um, reaching 3,700 people is really, really hard and really unrealistic in many ways. Not even the census gets nearly as much. Um, in Millville, on the other hand, we as a part of always listening to the community, also conducted a, a needs assessment through the Melville Community Library where um, neighbors were paid a small stipend to go door to door, sit at the bar, go to church, um, conduct surveys to figure out what people's hopes, needs, and dreams are. Um, all of that is incorporated into the work that we do. So we're always working to listen. Help me understand the vocabulary bridge that you built. I, I was wondering if you can give me some examples of what that shared language could be. Well, so in Millvale, um, our eco-district plan centers around food, water, energy, air quality, mobility under the umbrella of equity. Um, it's amazing to me the number of leaders who are in the community who don't have a background in environmental science, for example, who can very knowledgeably talk about stormwater dynamics, who can very knowledgeably talk about food systems and, and inequities in the food um, access system. Um, so I think that, um, I don't know, maybe that's not a detailed enough answer, but um, I think we see it in our community leaders, activists, elected officials, just the, the level of 
knowledge that they have, the, the nuances that they know in applying community development and environmental science in in our development. Well, that's uh, a credit to your good work. I think there is this balance between uh, not only speaking the same language as community members are, are speaking, or at least understand the complexities of, or the nomenclature of sustainability, uh, but also educating them to understand the the right vernacular, I suppose. And I think that's a piece of that of your good work. And it's a, I mean, it's a team effort, right? Um, everyone has to play their role. Um, and it's as much that as it is us all listening to each other, right? Like, I think from a professional end, there tends to be community vernaculars uh, that professionals don't necessarily know how to tap into or access or even relate to that I think goes a long way in gaining trust in a community um, and showing people that you appreciate them, that you appreciate their culture, that you appreciate who they are, where they want to go. Yeah, I think it's a big lift from a lot of different people that makes it possible. Aetna, right next door to Millville, Right, uh, just became um, an eco district, the first certified eco district in the world. Mm-hmm. Is that, that that's right? Yeah. So, um, what? How did New Sun Rising play a role in that, and what does it mean for Etna? What does it mean for the region? Yeah, you know, um, one of the things that we say in Millvale is that even if we make Millvale the most sustainable zero point six eight square miles in the whole world, um, it doesn't do a whole lot in kind of the global movement that needs to happen to push back on some of the um, environmental and economic forces that we're all feeling uh, pushing back on our communities. Um, To that end, you know, speaking specifically to climate change as an example, um, we find a lot of value in being able to take our learned uh, best practices, often hard learned best practices, Um, and bring them to our neighboring communities and at the same time uh, learn from our neighboring communities what their best practices are and be able to apply that to our work. Um, Not just locally, but even honestly thinking globally, we always have to have a sense for what's working, what's not working, and thinking through what would be uh, best for the communities that we work in. Aetna is our neighbor, like you mentioned. A lot of the opportunities and challenges um, are similar between the communities of Millville, Aetna, and Sharpsburg, um, all three of which partner on the Triborough Eco District Initiative, um, taking a lot of the concepts that we started to tinker with in Millville and start to work upriver uh, with our neighbors that have a lot of similarities. Um, when uh, in 2016, a team of uh, community members and leaders from Millville went to Portland um, to the Eco District Incubator um, with our Eco District plan in hand. Um, part of our uh, part of our deal was that once we got back to Pittsburgh, that we would share our lessons learned with all of our neighboring communities all around Allegheny County. Um, and as such, we had a we held our own mini incubator um, that we invited all sorts of folks to and representatives from Aetna, Sharpsburg uh, and Wilkinsburg uh, all showed up and um, that actually started to get our, you know, um, light bulb flashing in our brain of like, man, what does it look like 
to be able to create more regional initiatives around this concept that's working for us at the local level. Um, and lo and behold, uh, the opportunity came together for us to, to partner on the Triborough Eco District Initiative. Um, and since then, you know, we've had the great pleasure of getting to know our neighbors in Aetna, work with them to develop their own eco district initiatives where they saw a lot of what we did um, in Millville. They were inspired by it. They replicated it and they built on it and really um, blew this process out of the water in terms of true community engagement, getting feedback, developing strategies, um, working hyper-locally, but then also working with regional partners to bring in resources uh, to, to expand on their plans. Um, Sharpsburg has been doing the same thing, um, and it's just as fun to, to be alongside our neighbors there as well. Um, and at the same time, all three of us learning together from each other. Um, yeah, it's great to see Aetna get this tremendous honor um, and, you know, we're excited to, to all be together in, in our pursuits of a more sustainable community. Um, but I guess one thing I do want to speak to, um, that you alluded to earlier is how do we accomplish the projects that we do? You know, one thing to note about the eco-district process, the way we approach it, um, in Millville, Etna, Sharpsburg, um, you know, we really like to look at iterative planning and projects that build on themselves. There are some really big futuristic ideas in these in these plans, um, but that's not all it's about. There are steps, there are small projects that year by year build on each other to, to take us towards those big picture ideas. Um, and at the same time, um, the truth is that we are resource-strapped communities. You know, um, in Melville specifically, for example, we've lost close to 60% of our population since the peak census in 1950, which is very similar to the city of Pittsburgh, which also lost um, actually a little bit over 60% of its population since that census. Um, that's a tremendous loss in tax base, right? Because with residents also went businesses. Um, so often the borough is really working hard to make sure that basic infrastructure meets what we expect for our quality of life. Um, so how do we install solar panels on these public buildings? How do we create green infrastructure? And one of the great things about Pittsburgh there is that we have a really, really big philanthropic giving community um, from the legacy industry that existed here. Um, and we're able to do a really good, good job of writing the grants that are needed to be able to bring in um, the kinds of projects that we've been able to do. Um, and that's what's been great about, I guess, building our capacity, but then also building the capacity of our neighboring communities is to be able to show them like, hey, um, there are creative ways to be able to bring in resources into our communities to implement the kinds of projects that we're doing in these resource-strapped environments. The challenge there, I think, as we all grow um, you know, our hope is that more and more communities are able to adopt these kinds of strategies. Um, while the philanthropic giving community is great, uh, fact of the matter is if more communities start to apply these methodologies, that those dollars are going to get stretched further and further. Um, so our hope is to be able to use this time that we have now to prove the value of the work that we're doing so that 
you know, the, the for-profit and development community starts to see that, hey, this isn't just some eco stuff. There is economic value. There's an econo- economic return um, on, on uh, adopting these principles. You know, wh- which developer wants to build something that's going to be prone to flooding or be at risk of a landslide? No one, right? And what we're talking about here is to be able to create a maximum return on investment for communities and for developers and for the greater Pittsburgh world. Um, so yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, grow, um, iterate, uh, share, learn, and and see where it starts to take us. Well, your service organization fits nicely in between kind of this policy government space and the for-profit space, uh, continuing to articulate to the community about the importance of sustainability, but also that's the challenge of for-profit institutions as you're saying, is there, it's like profit versus, uh, you know, profit versus the environment. What, what do I, what am I going to sacrifice here? Um, so, so you, you, you articulating the benefits of being sustainable as a business, uh, probably not only just these developers, but small businesses as well, um, benefits the community and, and, really um, good dramatic ways for sure. I see that. Um, How does this, you know, I guess we're thinking about um, the Allegheny River uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but how could this translate to say the south side of Chicago or Wicker Park? Sure. I mean, I guess one thing I want to mention right away is, you know, there is this narrative of profit versus environment out there. And I think part of the reason that exists is because we do a really terrible job of of monetizing negative external costs of the way we currently do business. So in the macroeconomic sense, um, I think we really uh, miscalculate uh, how we value growth. Um, so I think, you know, one thing I'm hoping for and looking for as we, as a whole world move forward is is seeing more of those studies that start to calculate what a negative external cost is of the way we currently do business. You know, for example, um, for someone who's growing corn in Iowa, um, that's great. We see uh, the the economic value of it as the revenue that's generated from from that food that's being grown. However, we don't necessarily do a good job of calculating the, the chemicals and fertilizers that are going into the Mississippi River that end up in the Gulf of Mexico that then create um, hypoxic dead, dead zones where there's no oxygen in the water that's killing off shrimp fisheries, right? There's a cost or there's a benefit, there's a cost. How do you calculate that? I think we need to bring more of that into the work that we all do. Um, now, I guess getting to the question that you asked about how it applies to South Side of Chicago or any community, we all can listen. I think listening is really important. I think whether it's academia, whether it's the professional world, um, there tends to be a lot of talking down to communities um, and telling communities uh, what solutions are good for them from people who never have to walk the walk, um, walk in the shoes of people who, who are living in neighborhoods, whether it's the south side of Chicago or rural Iowa. Um, so I think the the practice of engagement, the practice of listening applies everywhere. And I think there's also um, this drawing out of shared end goals. That's really important, right? I think no matter where you live at the end of the day, almost all of us 
wants food in our bellies, a roof over our head, um, whether you're a billionaire or whether you are unemployed and struggling to find work. Um, and I think if we connect with people and understand what their pain points are and start to connect the solutions to those pain points to um, all of our benefits, I think that starts to change the conversation around things like climate change. You know, um, one of the great mistakes I feel of the sustainability movement in the last 30 years has been, especially around climate change, has been, you know, the imagery of like, let's say, the hungry polar bear in the North Pole. It's like, well, we all love polar bears and we don't want them to be hungry, but, you know, my kid's hungry at the table and I'm struggling to put food there. Um, what, what do you mean a hungry polar bear? In fact, of the matter is I think the systems that contribute to, to environmental loss, environmental damages, hungry polar bears are the same systems that contribute to hunger in communities. Um, so I think the more we can start to connect the dots between these large global issues at a local level, the more motivation there's going to be from a local level to explore um, these kinds of principles that we're talking about. Um, you know, going back to Millvale, um, people who are unfamiliar with the community might think it's some sort of like liberal bastion on a hill. And that's not true. It's a community of diverse thought. Um, it's a community that holds on to a lot of conservative values. And uh, despite what I think politics uh, in the media tells us, um, people in the community support these principles of sustainable development because there's been the shared trauma. Um, so where do we find um, that, that shared experience that we can tie communities together with and look forward to um, finding solutions? Shared trauma galvanizes for sure. And this is a perfect example of it. And it happens all over the all over the world in terms of the trauma that brings people together to find solutions. So I must, so I live in the South side. I want to be heard, uh, South side of Chicago. I want to be heard. How do I even begin to think about engaging new sunrising in these conversations? And is it possible that those conversations could happen? Some of your processes could be implemented in a city like Chicago. Well, you know, <laughs> firstly, I'd say that our focus is definitely Southwestern Pennsylvania. Um, but we definitely, uh, have a lot of, a lot of, uh, um, shared, I guess, uh, um, humanity, if you want to, if you want to call it that with people from all, all places. Um, I mean, first and foremost, just talking to neighbors is really important. Getting together, having a meal is really important. Um, asking, Hey, what do you need? What do you, what are your hopes? Where are you trying to go is, is really important. Um, and then I think, you know, getting away from, uh, this paternalistic idea of empowering people. Um, you know, I think I really like, uh, something that Joshua Pollard with Omicello cares, um, uh, sustainable or, a community mounted development company that exists in Pittsburgh, um, really about co-powering, right? What is the power that exists within all of us that, that can be built on? Um, at the end of the day, it's just, yeah, really getting out there and doing something. If people ever have any questions, they can always reach out to, to Nissan Rising. Um, one of the benefits of, of an organization like us is 
Um, we act as the fiscal sponsor for many different types of initiatives all around the Pittsburgh area. Um, and a lot of our partners, I think, are are, are innovating in, in different modes of community engagement that we can all learn from. And whether it's sitting down and, and listening and trying to connect uh, or um, being able to point to folks that we know that, that have um, shared values, shared sentiments, and shared goals. We're always happy to, to make those connections. And um, Well, from what I heard, what you described earlier is that you do have skills and expertise and models that one mm-hmm. could follow that could be shared. Yeah, um, absolutely. Not just in southwestern Pennsylvania, but throughout the, the, uh, the country. You have this sustainability piece at... Um, that that's so important to the work of New Sun Rising, the fiscal sponsorship. What is a fiscal sponsor? Sure. Uh, so as a 501c3, um, we partner with uh, initiatives that um, are looking to create some sort of community benefit or a project um, where there might not be a home organization or if it's a startup, they don't necessarily want to go out and get their 501c3 yet. Um, we're able to, as a fiscal sponsor, um, absorb funds um, and provide back-end administrative services so that um, whether you're creative or just a, a community-minded person who just wants to do the work, um, you can you can activate your project without having to worry about a lot of the back-end fiscal management. So I have an idea. It's an entrepreneurial idea um, that does social good, provides a social benefit. I can come to New Sunrising and be a part of this fiscal sponsorship process, and then I can go ahead and seek out funding from foundations or corporate sponsors and possibly individuals. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, well put. What other what other processes are happening? What other initiatives are happening at New Sunrising? Yeah, you know, we... Um have worked together to develop a framework called Vibrant Communities. Um, we we work to um, help communities uh, implement their vision through the lenses of culture, sustainability, and opportunity, um, looking at how those three values intersect towards building vibrant communities, towards building vibrancy. Um, so whether, you know, you're looking at arts initiatives, um, arts, music, et cetera. A lot of that programming falls under our culture uh, department um, for communities that are looking at economic opportunity, um, at, at small business and organizational development. A lot of that program is, programming is run through our opportunity uh, department. Um, Lee Solomon Pugliano and, and Dan Steiker are are the uh, our directors of, of opportunity and culture, respectively. Um, great folks. Um, we, yeah, uh, I guess one thing I can speak to is, is our building. Um, a lot of the work that we do, we hope serves as a demonstration or inspiration for, for people around the region, around the country. Um, and stemming from our eco district plan, one of those really wild ideas was, you know, how do you create microgrid systems so that in the event of the grid going down, whether it's a flood or um, other sort of natural disaster or something, um, that key institutions and key operations don't have to go down, you know, shelter services, municipal operations. Um, our building uh, in Millville, uh, which was a former Moose Lodge um, social hall, 
uh, we've transformed into what we call the Millville um, Center for, um, or sorry, we've transformed it into the Millville Food and Energy Hub. Um, the Millville Food and Energy Hub is fully solar powered um, and has a battery back backup microgrid system um, where, yeah, if ever there's a disaster, the building stays online. And our hope is while we prototype um, and learn from this pretty new technology uh, that as community partners start to see it, start to see it work, um, they're motivated to bring that kind of initiative into their communities as well um, to add resilience. Sounds like a pretty remarkable community to be involved in for sure. How do I, do I, can I just walk into the building? Is there, do I, am I greeted by uh, hugs and coffee or what <laughs> what's you know, their food or what what how can i come how can, how can i get engaged not too far from being greeted with hugs and coffee surprisingly <laughs> uh how did you know that uh, <laughs> um yeah I, you know you can walk into the building um the people in there are pretty friendly we have a co-working space with a number of different like-minded organizations um the frack tracker alliance uh the food trust um Foreign to Food Rescue all have operations inside of our building. Um, there's also uh, a cafe, an Italian cafe called Spritzatora that's open Wednesdays through Saturdays. So people are always buzzing. There's a smell of good Italian food. Um, but yeah, it's a public space. Uh, come on in. Um, we're located uh, in Millvale on, on Sherman Street. Uh, pretty, pretty easy to spot. Um, you can also visit our website, newsunrising.org. Um, there's a pretty comprehensive list of all the different initiatives and partnerships that we're involved with. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of different ways to get involved. Um, and there is, uh, another project that I forgot to mention earlier, uh, speaking to eco districts and, and community connectivity. Um, we've been working with, um, the city of Pittsburgh, uh, green building Alliance, sustainable Pittsburgh, um, Evolve EA and the Forbes funds on an initiative called District PGH. Um, you know, going back to what was what I was speaking to earlier about um, communities needing to access the all the different resources and organizations that exist in our region. Um, District PGH is working to put a process to that. You know, in in Millvale, we've been lucky in that. Um, we have a lot of the relationships and know-how to be able to reach out to funders, to partner organizations, to implement a lot of our work. Um, what we're trying to do is create one point of contact where if you reach out to District PGH, um, you're able to be channeled towards the appropriate resources or partners that, that might fit your need. Um, so really, um, that's in its first year. Um, we're just getting started, and, and we're hopeful that we're able to, to amplify um, these sustainable development practices through that partnership. What a wonderful resource for organizations and people that want to create change in their community. This is a great conversation, Zaheen. I can't thank you enough. New Sunrising is a gift to, the, to our region and can be a gift to the world for sure to understand how better to live in a sustainable environment. And thank you so much for coming today. Yeah, thank you for thinking of us. Thank you for inviting me. In Community and Company is a podcast program produced by the Department of Community Engagement at Point Park University. I'd like to thank our executive producer, Dr. Heather Starr-Fiedler, our sound engineer, Tyler Polk, 
The podcast is produced in front of a live studio audience at the Center for Media and Innovation at Penn Park University.